Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, welcome to episode 53 of the No Look Past Podcast presented to you at WRSPN.com. We want to thank you for tuning in. You could be listening to anything in the world, but you're here with us, and we appreciate that. I'm your host, Frank Santos, and it turns out that I forgot to have a clever opening, so I got my co-host with me, Andy Flint. Flint, what's good? I just want to give a big shout-out to Sam Whiteside for all those rebounds. Damn. Yeah. It, it, it's kind of easy when every other player on your team that actually has usefulness in the NBA is, is injured or doesn't really exist on your roster. That Heat team is that Heat team is bad. I don't even know if we're going to watch in this season, Andy. I, I don't. I don't want it, to. It's just. It's just too painful to watch a team that used to be so good be so bad. So it's ugly. We are going. Yeah, we are going to get into our show. Uh, this week we watched the Toronto Raptors, and we're really excited to talk about them because we feel like they're one of the more entertaining teams that, that we've seen, is especially the week that we picked them. Um, and then we have a couple other things we want to get into, including the Los Angeles Clippers as possible championship contenders and who is the best Robin in the NBA. But let's start with, while you were watching TNT, we were watching the Toronto Raptors. Uh, we had a bonus game. We had a four games this week. They went 3-1 and one with wins over the Thunder, the Hornets, and the Knicks. And then last night's loss, obviously, to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, so, Andy, how many Raptors games did you catch this week? I caught three of them um, because we ended up with the bonus game, the Cavs game. So the only one I didn't catch was the Charlotte game, which looked that was a very good game. That was maybe my, my favorite game of, of the of the three. And then what was your or what was your first impression of of this Raptors team? I mean, the first thing that stood out to me is the ball movement. This seems like they're the most unselfish team ever, which is crazy when you have a guy who, uh, like DeMar DeRozan, who's considered, you know, a volume scorer, a volume shooter. And you have Kyle Lowry, who's no slouch in the scoring department. But the fact that the ball keeps moving and moving and moving, and it's not even like they're, you know, I mean, you can watch Golden State, the ball moves a lot too, but they're a three-point shooting team. Toronto's not. So I was really impressed with the way that that ball just never stopped. They're big guys all the way down to their guards. Absolutely. And, and speaking of DeMar DeRozan, he is partying like it's 1999, every analytics person. Yeah, I, I think DeMar DeRozan is just taking every calculator he sees and just smashing it on the ground because he does not want any nerds in his locker room telling him how to play basketball. He is playing, and and this is not an exaggeration, this is not a hyperbole, and I'm not making this compar- comparison, but he is playing like Michael Jordan. He is making, like, the way his game is on the elbow sort of, kind of lulling you to sleep, breaking you down, posting you up, and kind of with a turnaround jumper. It really looks like Michael Jordan out there. Um, I don't know how you, how you feel about that, uh, but just the way he's playing the game, the, the areas in which he's playing the game, the sort of shots that he's taking, and the way he's taking over games where he just cannot miss 18 to 20 foot range really just reminds me of, of how MJ used to play the game. You know, and I never even started to draw the – MJ comparison, but what I was finding myself thinking is offensively as a scorer, you have guys like James Harden and like a Paul George and, you know, even like a Carmelo Anthony whose game's nowhere near what DeMar DeRozan's is, but you have these guys who are primary scorers who are wondering how in the heck is he doing it so efficiently and without the long ball. Uh, I mean, DeMar's only making like a half a three a game, only taking uh, just under two, I think. It's just that yeah. he's just become efficient. You usually see with these guys who are considered volume scorers, 
early in their career, they struggled. They'll shoot low percentages. I remember Kevin Durant shot terrible percentages when he was young. Because they eventually grow and they, they learn to get better shots, DeRozan hasn't done that. I mean, people, DeMar DeRozan's taking some of the worst shots I've ever seen a player take, and he did it all week, and he's done it all season, but it's working. He's, he's become impossible to stop because he takes tough, bad angles, and he's mastered making them. And it hasn't hurt Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry's shooting the, the long ball pretty well. And I just say with the ball movement, the way he's playing, it, it, it's incredible to watch. But, yeah, DeMar DeRozan, I don't know what he did in the offseason, but he took his erratic game and he made it, like, plausible. It's like what Curry and Golden State did with the three ball. We said shooting teams, especially ones who rely on the three, can't win a championship. And then they flip the script and do it. And with DeRozan, it's like inefficient type guy. And he's not overly, he's not overly big, 220. But he's gotten stronger, too. He's finishing. He's getting to the line. And I'm just superbly impressed with, with DeRozan because I never thought he'd turn the corner into becoming such an efficient player. Yeah, and you talk about the sort of the ball movement on the team. But the other thing I notice is that it seems like nobody really minds that DeMar DeRozan takes, what, 20, 20 to 25 shots a game. Uh, it just seems like all the other guys on the team, partially because uh, Valanciunas obviously was injured, and he is a guy that probably will need more touches as he as he gets back in. Though it seems like once he was in the lineup, it, it didn't really change much. But aside from Lowry, you have all these guys that are really role players and comfortable being role players and comfortable just being in the corner open if you need them or grabbing the offensive rebound like the you know this this front court, which is the next thing I want to get into. I have no idea who these guys are. Um, I, they're just. I, I saw the starting lineup and I was like, "Where's Patrick Patterson? Uh, I thought he was still on this team. Like, where where are all these people that I know exist in the NBA? And there's just like these random people that I'm pretty sure are are just from the streets of Canada, and we don't even know them. And it, it was just like an open tryout, and all of a sudden they just came in, they spoke French, and they were like, "You're on the team. You're starting tonight. Demar Derozan's going to take the shots. You just grab the rebounds." Uh, except for my man Bebe, who maybe my, my one of my top five favorite players in the league now. You know, I think I almost think what they're doing is brilliant because they've essentially looked at the roster and said, listen, we're going to play you know, a way where we move the ball a lot. And there are points where it stops. They like you said something about breaking down on the elbow like MJ used to do, uh, referring to DeRozan. And they do stop and set that up. But if you watch, the player's – they, they move and they stand. And I think a lot of times it's hard for teammates to watch a guy go to work, especially if the ball has been moving so much all game. But it's like they switch from one offense to another almost flawlessly. And it's like nobody has an ego, which is crazy. But it does help when you have guys like you're talking about, like uh, I'm going to butcher names here, but uh, the, the big center there, Lucas Noguera, I think is how you pronounce his last name. Uh, he's the guy with the floppy Anderson Verja hair, if anybody's wondering. I watched him give some solid minutes. Um, the rookie, uh, Sakim there that starts at power forward half the time. He's, uh, he was, you know, energy, just playing a role. Uh, Damari Carroll, even a guy like Jared Sollinger coming off the bench. I mean, he's, they have him slated as like third on the depth chart at power forward, but he's giving them solid minutes. His PR is good. Norman Powell is another one behind DeRozan. Uh, and obviously Corey Joseph. I just feel like this team, they've bought into the concept in Toronto and Toronto's, you know, I never have any faith in him, so I'm surprised I'm saying this, but Toronto has built a culture the last few years. It's happened really fast, but with uh, DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry and the coaching staff, it, it just feels like they've 
anybody they bring in buys into this process here, and they it's working. You know what's weird is that I watched the team all week. I actually caught all four games, and I don't remember seeing Jared Solinger in the game. <laughs> is he? I, I didn't even. I didn't remember that they even signed Jared Solinger until you just said that. Uh, it's weird that he, I don't remember him playing at all. So. Well, no, he. he I mean, he's been hurt. He's he's been hurt while we watched oh, okay. him. So but he is hurt. No, he is he is there. Yeah, he was given. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Okay. That, I mean, so and that's why that's why you're seeing like a Sakim playing so much. I think is is you know. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, as we all know, Jaron Solinger is very noticeable on the floor, both in in size and and shot output per per capita. So the other thing that I noticed was I think I'm. I think Kyle Lowry, I'm, I'm making all kinds of comparisons here. These guys are just Hall of Famers, apparently. Uh, DeMar DeRozan's Michael Jordan, and I think Kyle Lowry might, might be the new Kevin Garnett in the NBA because he's got to be the guy that you just love when he's on your team but absolutely hate him when he's not on your team. He just, every time, so there was one play where, and I, and I know NBA players do this all the time, but it seems like Lowry does it just more and more intensely than, than every other player I've seen. There was a play last night in the Cavs game where the ball clearly went off of him. It was uh, Kevin Love missed the rebound. And it went like right through his hands, and then it hit Kyle Lowry, and it went out of bounds. And Kyle Lowry talked to the official, screaming at the official that it was Raptors' ball, like as if he really believed it. Like he didn't just see the fact that it went off of his hand. And for some reason, it just really annoys me. Kyle Lowry just really annoys me when I watch him. Maybe it's because I'm a Nets fan and they're, and they're the Raptors, but I feel like he is probably the most hateable player in the league now. You think he's the most hated player in the league or the most hateable? Hateable. Is that what you said? Hateable. hateable. Yes, the most hateable player in the league. Well, you see, I happen to uh, root for this college team, so we're not, yeah, I'm not, gonna, you love I'm not agreeing with that. Love, uh, um no, you know, I do, and I've seen it over the years, too, and it's like, you know, I, I I do see it now, and he kind of reminds me a little bit of, like, a point to, like, Dwayne Wade got there, too. And I don't know if we don't see it as much now from Wade because he's a bit less prominent, um, but I always thought Dwayne Wade was one of the, the like, the worst whiners for anything. You know, the, the <laughs> ball needs to go this way or he fouled me or especially when it came to committing fouls. Like, Wade never committed a foul, like, in his career. He would just, like, look at the refs in disbelief. Like, are you kidding me? Like, I didn't touch him. And, you know, Lowry with his his facial expressions are really where it is because they, they're very noticeable from him. And I, I think, yeah. you know, it, it, it does make him a hateable player. But not for me. Maybe for you. I like Kyle Lowry. He's my boy. <laughs> so... The other thing that that I really noticed about this team is uh, sort of, so something we sort of touched on already, but they spent all of this money on these role players, and obviously Sullinger is is hurt. Um, Patrick Patterson, I believe they they paid a pretty good a pretty good sum for, and then uh, Damari Carroll apparently like is I, I, if anybody sees Damari Carroll on the street, please let him know that he's supposed to be on the basketball court playing basketball. I know he's also been hurt, but it seems like even when he's on the floor, he is virtually worthless, which Really upsets me because when they – I don't know if you remember this, Andy, but when they signed Damari Carroll, I was like, this team is – this is the this is the move. This is the guy that they needed. This was the missing piece, and they're going to be, you know, a contender. I think I had Damari Carroll as like a top 10 small forward last season in our preseason ranking. And I, I just don't understand. Was was it just one season, like with the, with the Hawks? Was that all that Damari Carroll had in him? Or is there something else that I'm missing here? I mean, yeah, that was your boy. And I remember, 
I, I do remember yeah. that you liked him a lot. I appreciate um, you not bringing it up, though, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm going to tell you a quick little funny story about Damari Carroll is uh, I, you know, watching watching a team each week and stuff, and I'll tell, and, you know, for anybody out there, my youngest son is eight years old, and I'll always tell him, you know, he plays a lot of NBA 2K. And he scored, apparently I wasn't here one day, they're playing on, like, rookie because, again, he's eight, but he scored, like, 58 points with Damari Carroll one game. I don't know why. I don't know how it happened. It was against his older brother. So he, when he found out I was watching the Raptors every morning, he was like, Dad, how many points did Damari Carroll score last night? And I'm like, dude, if we keep playing this game, like, you're really going to be disappointed because he's, he's never getting the 50-something. <laughs> and I think it was a triple-double on the game. So I'm like, it's not going to happen. And he's like, yeah, right, Damari Carroll's a better three-point shooter than Steph Curry. I'm like, dude, like, go in the other room. Don't tell anybody we talk about basketball. Say you learned all your basketball knowledge from your mom. No, I'm just kidding. But, you know, it's, it's, it's one of these things. I was trying to make you feel better, Frank, because I know you had the love for Carol, and, and my son shares that love for some odd reason. But I think it's the hair. I think his hairdo affects the way he plays. <laughs> see, see, see and your son, we have so much in common, our, our love for Damari Carroll. And uh, it, it's, it's just sad. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that you, you've sheltered him from the world. Sort of like you're not telling him that Santa Claus, not telling him about Santa Claus, not telling him about Damari Carroll. I, I like that that line that you've said. Yeah, we have Santa uh, going strong because, here still. Yeah, because unfortunately, I am a cynical, I am I am a cynical individual, and now I have to come with the grips to the realities of the world that is Damari Carroll not being a good player at all. Uh, so the other, the last thing I wanted to bring up before we get to the elephant in the room question is who in the hell did the Toronto Raptors upset with the NBA scheduling gods that they had to get the Cleveland Cavalier Golden State Warrior back-to-back? What is that? That's ridiculous. I mean, I think that's what you get <laughs> when you've been consistently been a good team. I mean, you know, I think it's it's one of those things where it they probably, you know, it just kind of fell that way, and then they're like, oh, this will be great TV, um, you know, at least they're home against the Warriors. I think that game's actually on ESPN. But uh, their chances, I, I really, I've got to tell you that I do. I think that the way they're playing, they're playing their own brand of basketball. And I always like and respect when a team says, you know, we don't care what everybody else is doing. We know what we have, you know, as far as personnel goes. And, and we're going to do it right. our way. And it's really cool because DeRozan especially is, you know, saying, fuck the system. I mean, I, I'm going to not do it with the long ball. I'm going to do it, you know. And like you said, yeah, I'm almost starting to buy a little bit of the MJ tendencies. He is scoring in, in certain ways that just don't seem like they fit this era. And I think that that describes this Raptors team very well. And who knows, maybe this time next year we're going to be talking about how everybody should be duplicating what the Raptors do. But, you know, it's, it's a trendy <laughs> league and, and things tend to change. Absolutely, and that was the one thing that I kept thinking as I was watching them in terms of the schedule was I was like, oh, okay, they're going to have a schedule loss here. Like they're not going to beat the Hornets right after beating the Thunder. That that's sort of like a big, you know, like a big leap. But the Thunder game was was a very emotional game. Like a lot of a lot of energy. They've expended too much energy, and then they beat the Hornets. And I'm like, okay. Then the next night they had the Knicks, and I was like, oh, okay, this is going to be a game where they sort of come back down to earth. They beat the Hornets. They beat the Thunder. They got to be tired because that Hornets game was like a 115-113 game, and it was, you know, it went all the way to the end. And then they, you know, they pulled through and beat the Knicks. Granted, it was probably a closer game than it should have been, probably because they didn't have as much energy. But And then they go and beat the Knicks, and then I was like, all right, the Cavs are going to blow them out because, I mean, this team has to be exhausted. 
and then they just go went toe to toe with the Cavs. And I got to tell you, I, I keep thinking like, all right, well the Golden State Warriors are going to blow them out tonight. But now I'm kind of maybe it's maybe it's me. Maybe I need to reevaluate how I feel about this team. Which brings me to to the elephant in the room question: Is this the same old story with the Raptors, where they sort of look like contenders, feel like contenders? And then they kind of are contenders when they get to the playoffs, but they just can't really get over the hump. Or is this I'm – I'm not, I'm not saying they're going to win the Eastern Conference, but is this the year that they sort of seem like they are going to be something going into the future? You know, I, I think so. I, I really do. And I think it's – it takes me a lot to say that because I know in the past few years, and we've done, you know, numerous different shows together and on different platforms – I've kind of always been a little wary of of the Raptors, even when everybody else was picking them. I remember there was a, the series against Washington a couple of years ago where, you know, everybody in the world was taking the Raptors, and I was like, man, I, I just don't believe in them. You know, I picked, uh, I picked Washington game seven in Toronto <laughs> to win the series. So it's that kind of thing. I've always kind of had a, a small amount of faith in Toronto. I just didn't like the way, even when they won games, I didn't like the way they did it. And they haven't really changed that but they've gotten better at what they do. And, again, I'm going to go back to DeRozan because I think a lot of it lies with his game. I mean, he's shooting 51% this season playing weird basketball. I mean, he we talked about, like, uh, like a Jamal Crawford as a good or a bad shot maker. DeMar DeRozan is the king of that, and if he keeps playing efficiently and they keep moving the ball, I, I do. I think that this team might be a contender this year in the Eastern Conference. We've seen Boston kind of slip a little. Cleveland looks good. But talking about these tough games they had, they did have a couple days of rest, but they still went out and almost, you know, gave it to the champs, four-point game. So, yeah, I, I do. I think this game or this team is, is the real deal, finally. I I tend to agree. It, it just seems like they've they've found something, and – I think what they were missing, in a sense, was really who the alpha dog on this team is in terms, in terms of like who gets the final shot. And I think they've they've solved that. And I think obviously Demar Derozan has really become one of the better options in the entire league of a guy to hand the ball to and just be confident that he's going to be able to get you a score whenever you need it, whether it's to stop a big run or whether it's an end-of-game situation. And I think Kyle Lowry, which is sort of what sparked the later discussion um, in, in terms of who's the, better, who's the best Robin in the NBA that we're, that we're going to discuss, I think Kyle Lowry has really become comfortable in that, in that role and knowing that Jamar DeRozan is a better scorer than he is. And I think sometimes they, they struggle with that because uh, in, in the past because Lowry was sort of like, okay, I want to show you what I can do now. I, I've seen what you can do, DeRozan, but let me show you what I can do now. And I think now Lowry has really become more of a point guard where he sort of knows when he has to score, but also knows, all right, DeMar's got the hot hand. We need to get him the ball. And, and or Valanciunas sort of hasn't had a touch in a while. Let's get him the ball in the post or something like that. And it really, it's a compliment to, to, and it's a hard thing to do, I would imagine, for a point guard, especially one that can score as well as Kyle Lowry. I mean, let's not act like Kyle Lowry doesn't know how to score the ball. He really does. And it's and it's hard to sort of sacrifice when you feel like you have when you have it, it on and you sort of have the touch to sort of say okay let's let's pause right now and and let's see what the whole team really needs as a whole in order to get us to succeed and I feel like Lowry has done that and it's very impressive. And I think one thing that really you know defines being a star or even a superstar in this league 
is a lot of times you get a couple talented players or three talented players, you know, above average talent all the way up to the superstar level even. And they can't play together because they can't ever, you know, it's the the tug of war, the push pull. They they can't figure it out. And sometimes we see it work really well because you have tremendously talented guys like KD or Westbrook, and it looks like it's working. But maybe under the surface it isn't working, and maybe that seems you know even truer nowadays given what happened in the summer with those two. But I think Lowry had to take the step back, and I think some awful playoff performances really kind of sped up that process. There had to have been a sit-down, at least with the two of them, at one point, and it was like, listen, we have to make this work. And I think the easiest way to sell it is to say, Lowry, you're too good of a passer, you know, to not be focused on, on that at points when you have such a deadly score in DeRozan. And I think Lowry's somewhere like seven assists a game this year, 18 points, so he's still getting his numbers. It's just he, he's come to understand and I think beat something – uh, has something to do with being, you know, like 30, 31 years old at this point, that, you know, I have this guy and I need to unleash him in certain ways, talking about DeRozan, and he needs to get the last shot. He needs to get the big moments. Because that's really where Kyle Lowry struggled, I think, is in the big, big moments. He's just kind of been a pedestrian at times. And, you know, I think this will make yeah. his life a little easier at the same time. It's going to make the Raptors much better. Yeah, and at the same time, it's it sort of uh... – it won't really be solidified until they're able to do the same thing in like the playoffs or in, you know, more meaningful games. So I'm still Absolutely. a little skeptical, but, but I'm hopeful. Definitely the second best team in the East, right? You, you, do you believe that now? Obviously I believe it is, is currently true, but you think that's going to be true throughout the season? Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of drinking the, the Hawks Kool-Aid a little bit. Oh, so really? I, I I, don't, I need to see another week, I think, because I really have liked what the Hawks – I've been watching, secretly watching the Hawks a little bit. Dwight Howard did get hurt last night, but worth noting he, he was having a very good game against us on Whiteside before he went out. I think he had something like 11-11 and 11 in three-and-a-half quarters or something like that. But I do like the Hawks. I, I, I'm, I'm edging towards the Hawks a little. I, I, do, I think the Hawks are a little better than the Raptors. Oh, we'll have to discuss that on the show because I, I disagree. Uh, I, I kind of feel like your closet abandoning boogie, by the way, uh, for, for Dwight Howard and, and for other, other people. No, we, no, we, no. we can also talk about that. Yeah, we can also talk about some other I'm that. abandoning so, boogie because I saw the outfit he wore this last week. Yeah, I saw the shade you threw at him. So let's move on to the Los Angeles Clippers, who we discussed last week as maybe less entertaining as the Los Angeles Lakers and sort of in the same mold – as the Toronto Raptors were, and, and probably more intensified because I think the Clippers have been closer than the Raptors have ever been to being a championship contender. Uh, best team, best start in the league. Um, I believe that they are nine and one or ten and one. One, one of the two. Uh, either ten way, one. very good. Ten and one. So, are we buying one? Uh, two question. Twofold. Are we buying the Clippers as championship contenders? And two. Do you think that they can win the Western Conference, like win or win the regular season, be the one seed in the Western Conference? I, yeah, I, to both, I think. And here's my thing: I, I've long been fooled by the Clippers, like you were by Demar Carroll. And I, I've, yeah. paid, I, I mean, it's been a couple of years now, but I had taken them in the past to like you know win the West or you know win uh, you know when the playoffs come to win the to win the West there, but. Something always happens, doesn't it? It seems like somebody's always hurt. Like a Blake Griffin gets hurt, or Chris Paul gets hurt, or something just doesn't it doesn't work. And 
I feel like they, the one thing they really have done that a lot of teams don't do is they've been patient, and they've kept pretty much the same core of guys. I mean, you have Crawford there, Reddick, uh, DeAndre Jordan, Blake Griffin, Chris Paul. These are this, That's your core. And they have right. uh, Luke Mbaa Mute has been great, I thought. Uh, I, I've always kind of liked him. Closet fan. I mean, it doesn't necessarily show up in the stat line, but he's there. And Mo Spates is a big addition. He played a lot of late-season basketball with the Warriors, obviously, last season. So I, I do. I like their chances. Now, I'm, am I afraid somebody's going to get hurt? Yes. At this point with this team, I think somebody's probably going to get hurt. So if they can avoid the injury bug, which, you know, I hope they can, yeah, I think this team is a contender. I mean, Golden State's not necessarily looking as hot as we thought they might, even though they're 8-2, and two, so everybody relax. The Spurs are kind of having some growing pains with how the 8-3 and three record and stuff like that. So I, I do think the Clippers could win the West. I, you know, I, I think we're looking at a 55-60 win team. Um, minimum. So, yeah, I, I do. Well, I think they're going to have to win more than 60 games to win the West, for one. I said minimum. Uh, but I minimum. Agree. Yeah, yeah, but I think they can, is, is what I'm saying. I, I think they absolutely can do it. Um, it. It makes sense. It makes sense that the Clippers would be this good, just because, like you said, they've they've kept that core of people. I really like the move. Uh, Raymond Felton has been great for them, and it has afforded them the the uh, benefit of not playing Chris Paul as much. And I think he's really, he's benefited from that because his numbers are up, even though his minutes are down and you kind of have to massage older players. And, and Chris Paul at this point is an older player. And I think you saw it when they played the Nets last night and I, uh, or a couple of nights ago and Chris Paul had played like 10 minutes in a row in the first quarter of this up and down game and literally took a foul because he was so tired <laughs> to get out of the game because <laughs> he's an old man now and that, and that's just what he does. So, but I really think that he, he's the master of, of knowing the same thing we talked about Kyle Lowry, knowing when to score, knowing when, and that's why I feel like Chris Paul is probably the best quote unquote point guard in the league, because I think he has the pulse of his team more than any other guy in the league. Granted, I think Curry and Westbrook are more talented. And since they're point guards, I them over him in the rankings, but we're talking about a true point guard. I think that's why Chris Paul is the best point guard in the league because he always has the pulse of his team. Even when he's on the bench, it seems like he knows what's going on. He's like a, a second coach out there when he's on the bench and when he's on the court. And in that sense, I really feel like the continuity of this team will allow them to win the one seed. And, and I'm not ready to make that proclamation now because, like you said, the Warriors and the Spurs are still a game behind even though the Clippers have gotten off to this great start. And they may start resting guys. They may start. They may get an injury where you know Blake Griffin sort of is out for maybe it's not a major injury, but maybe he's out for three weeks or something like that. And obviously that will affect every game. Sort of matters when you're competing with teams that are going to win 60 to 65 games. And I think Chris Paul is playing the best basketball of his career. Honestly, I, I just from the entire being the entire package. And like you said, if we were strictly talking point guards as point guards, it, it probably is Chris Paul, but the point guard isn't necessarily the point guard anymore, not exclusively. So that, and one funny thing I almost thought you were going to say is Raymond Felton was affording the Clippers the opportunity to not play Chris Paul so much. I totally thought you were going to say Raymond Felton affords him the opportunity to not play Austin Rivers so much, <laughs> but <laughs> either way. Yeah, that too. So let's move on really quick. Something we can definitely expand on on another show. Maybe just give me your answer to the question, and then we can we can expand on why on on the next show. But 
who do you think is the best Robin in the league? You know, we have these alpha dogs, and then we have these sort of supporting guys, but maybe they're only supporting guys because they're just not as good as the main guy, but they could easily have their own team if they needed to. To me, my guy isn't Robin. He's more like Alfred, uh, maybe even Catwoman, Clay Thompson, because sometimes he's just the, the fourth guy at this point, or the, definitely the third guy. I mean, as much as I like this team and I think it's great, situation for all those players. I'd love to see Clay Thompson unleashed on its own team. Yeah, that that's a great point. Uh my answer is DJ McCollum. I just feel like every time I watch because he gets a lot of minutes by himself without Dame sort of uh Dame Rest, they always have McCollum out there. And every time I see him out there by himself I'm just like, I would love to see this for forty minutes a game. I want to see what CJ McCollum would be like if he had his own team. So that's my answer, CJ McCollum. We're gonna move like on that. to the end of the show like yeah, like Jay-Z once said, we don't believe you. You need more people. Andy, who needed more people this week? The NBA.com app for any device is the slowest thing I've ever used. You need more people. Yeah, the whole NBA. Um, I'm going with a repeat. I'm going with Phil Jackson again. I went with him last week because he hired Kurt Rambis. I'm going with him this week because nobody's used the word posse since 1980. Uh, and and why are you talking about he's the best friend of your of your best player? Like, it's not going to get back to him and offend him. Phil Jackson, you're you're just an old man now. NBA.com. Well, we don't believe you. You need more people. And before we end the show, Andy, you know, we had we had something good with the Raptors, and now I felt like we needed something bad. So next week we are watching the Washington Wizards. We're going to see the dysfunction oh. that is the 2-7 and seven John Wall-Bradley Beal combo. And with that, that is the end of our show. Uh, we will be with you next week as we continue our journey across the NBA. Follow the podcast on Twitter at NLP Podcast. That's uh, N like Nancy Drew, L like Larry Holmes, T like Pastor Troy. And like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash NLPpod. We will end as we always do with great with the great philosopher Jason White Chocolate Williams, who once probably thought basketball is a lot like last call at the bar. Sometimes it's better to pass without looking. And with that, we bid you good night. <laughs>